Thank you, Lord. I grew up in a, an alcoholic home. My dad was a great man, but he was very tormented, and he didn't get sober till he was 74. 74, by the grace of God. And I, I've come to realize, and Kit and I have talked about this, is that I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it. We're all a bunch of drunks. Yeah, even you teenagers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We're all a bunch of drunks. Because apart from the grace of God, we are addicted to sin. And we're addicted to the things of this world that stand in the way of the one thing that will set us free. And that's getting down on our knees without any bargaining and saying, come Lord Jesus and do in me what only you can do. And that's what we're about. And that's what the scripture's about. And it couldn't have been a more perfect time. That's how God works. You go nowhere by accident. That we would have that this morning as we look at this part of believing the good news of the gospel. So join me first in, in Romans chapter 5. If there were only one book of the Bible, Romans would be it. And if there were only one passage in Romans, this, would, this chapter would certainly be it. And I'm going to read verses 21 through 12 through 21, chapter 5 of Romans. And in fact, verse 11 says, But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have been redeemed, and our hope is in him. Therefore, he writes, just as sin came into the world through one man and one woman, and death came through sin, so death spread to all, because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned where there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam. This is the doctrine of original sin. We are infected. We're cracked babies. We are, we are born addicted. Yet sin exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come, the Messiah. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is, n is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. 
For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. But law came in, and with the result that the trespass multiplied. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that just as sin exercised dominion in death, so, might, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There was a man named Nicodemus, and he was the leading teacher of the law and Judaism in Jesus' day. And he knew what Paul would ultimately be saying that we've just read. John tells us about him saying now in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a, a leader of the Jews, actually in the Greek, the leader. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, Master, Leader, Lord, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above or be born again. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where, where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, which is the name for the Messiah. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they do not, have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. 
that the light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God, through God's Holy Spirit, speak these words to our hearts and convict us of our need for this amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, come and rescue us now, as only you can. You are our recovery. And you have recovered us and offered us that great grace. So let it come and find us now, not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock. You are our Redeemer. Amen. As I said, this is our third week in Believe. And if, if you weren't with us, that's okay. We can, we can catch you up. This is kind of like going to the movies. Some of you were kids and you remember on Saturday afternoon you went back to the cereal on, to see what was going to happen. This is the third installment. We talked about last week how evident it is in so many ways that God cares very personally about each of us. And we talked about how God wants to be really personally involved daily in every one of our lives, in every situation that we face. Not just the things that we would call the big, dramatic, theological kinds of things, but homework kinds of things marital dispute kinds of things, which I know never take place. You two have been married 50 years. You've never had a spat, right? Okay. God wants to engage those kinds of situations personally. So today we look at the eternal nature of this care and how God steps into our lives to do for us what we can't do ourselves, no matter how hard we try or, or how we try to ignore our need for God's personal touch. Kit didn't want God's personal touch when he was drinking. He wanted another drink, right? We don't want God's personal touch when we are trying to do our own thing. But God wants something better for us. John Steinbeck once wrote, People seem to be born with a debt they can never pay no matter how hard they try. It piles up ahead of them. People know they owe a debt they cannot pay. If they ignore the debt, it poisons them. Kind of like making just the minimum payment on a Visa card that has a a balance on it. 21% interest. It piles up. And if they try to make payments... They only make the minimum payment. And the debt only increases. Now this is not from a theologian. This is from a great writer of stories who knew the story and proclaimed it. And this is what Nicodemus realized. When he came to Jesus that night, he came at night because he knew 
that he would be embarrassed in front of the other Pharisees to say, Jesus, you're the one. But it's what we need to realize, what Nicodemus realized, that we need to be born again, to be born from above. That is to be born from a source that nothing in this world can give us. This has been greatly misunderstood in our world. To be born again has been greatly misunderstood to the point that it has been discounted, minimized, or at worst thrown aside, or, or, or it treated as some sort of theological ambiguity. What do you mean born again? And by too many in the church, let alone the world outside the church. And yet this is the core statement that the God of the universe makes and that Paul reiterates. The reality is that the new life Jesus offers is not ambiguous. Paul says it again and again. You were dead. And we, as I've often said, think that we're Monty Python. Oh no, I'm not dead. It's just a flesh wound. I'll be fine. Give me a Band-Aid. No, there's no Band-Aids. There's no medicine. There's no surgery for what's wrong with us. Jesus simply says it. You need to be born again because you're dead. And Paul confirms this in what we've just read. We are dead without what Jesus has done. We are dead without what Jesus has done and what he offers to do in our lives because the reality is Adam blew it and we got hung with that. If you don't believe it, look inside. God's grace was actually at work from the very beginning because God took Adam and Eve and took them outside of the garden so that they could not live this broken life forever. If he hadn't, they would have been just stuck in this misery. The greater grace, the greatest grace of all, was when Jesus came to be the one true God who could rescue us and would rescue us from a place we could not save ourselves. And this is where it gets really exciting. This is where it gets really exciting. That Jesus, that most historically verified person of ancient history, is the only one who could rescue us, and he is God and of all that ever is and will be, and here it is. Jesus Christ wants to save each and every one of us personally. He wants to come in and change our lives. He wants to make us new. He wants to set us free. Jesus knows we need what only he can give for us to be born again. Think about what John Steinbeck describes. Think about our own lives and what we know needs to be reborn, but somehow we can't do it. Be honest with ourselves. What are the things in our lives that we know we can't get over? Well, what we can't get over is that we keep doing the same things over and over again. We say, I won't kick the dog. I won't think that thought. 
But guess what? Hmm? We do it. God wants to teach us and love us every day that he has redeemed us from this condition that causes us to behave in ways that are devastating. God wants to come and live in us and take us to himself forever. Even as God knows everything that's gone on in our lives and is going on in our lives, and all he asks is that we take him at his word when he says you must be born from above. You must be born again. We need to know this. We need a personal relationship with Jesus because we are living in a world that tells us you're on your own, baby. Individually and corporately, as a human race, you're on your own. God wants to meet us in that and show us that his personal commitment is to making all things new in us, ways that we can't do ourselves. Because Jesus really lived and died and rose again. This is possible. This is possible only because he did, and it is for us very specifically and very personally. It is God's Holy Spirit who moves our hearts to hear the truth Paul describes in the two Adams, the first Adam and Jesus, the second Adam. The good news is that we get to respond, we get to, and that it's not too late, and that no sin, no condition, no failure is too big for God because of what God offers to do and has done in Jesus Christ that is more than the sum total of all our sins. He comes to deal with the infection we cannot cure. He comes to diagnose our situation and then meet that terminal illness. Ours is but to say thank you. To say thank you and live our lives in joyful response for the fact that he has made us new. I, I read this recently, and it's so true. When grace introduces us to repentance, the two of us become best friends. When anything else introduces us to repentance, it feels like the warden has come to lock us up, busted. But when grace gets involved, the truth of repentance reveals a fabulous world of life-freeing beauty. Repentance is okay. Repentance is a good thing. But we will only believe that when we recognize that grace has come to enable us to turn around. Because that's what repentance means. Live a new life. Surrender the old life. I heard someone say, coming to the Lord is a shedding off process and sometimes being born again takes a long pregnancy you know my dad was in gestation until he was 74 years old you were born when you were 51 but all of us need to be born every day into a new life because long or short God is calling us to realize that without rebirth there is no hope but with it, anything is possible. And one of the reasons I love doing youth ministry 
as long as I did, they, they, they called me the senior citizen geriatric youth pastor because I did it into my 40s, was because I got to tell people like Sam and Macy and, and, and all, the, all the, the rest of our youth about this good news so that it could start right now. So that guys like Colby and Xavier could, could know the good news of Jesus Christ from their earliest days. Because the reality is in America, my friends, the likelihood of someone coming into surrender and new life in Jesus Christ, being born again after the age of 21, is something like 3%. Do you know that? That's why it's so important. But the good news is we get to tell the world that. We get to tell the good news. Because the reality is that good news comes to do the impossible. Healing of things that have been broken. Broken marriages. Broken dreams. Our very relationship with God can be restored when we are willing to accept what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You must be born again from above. I'll be very honest. The world hates those words. The world hates those words, you must be born again. Too many in the church are not comfortable with those words. Jesus' call to rebirth. The devil hates those words because the devil knows that when someone's heart is truly one to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and his transforming, renewing love, that person will never be available to the devil again. Neener, neener, neener. It says that in the Greek. <laughs> they have become new. They have become Jesus' possession. And that new life is never going back to the old life. Of course we will sin again. And of course we will feel remorse, but the power of God's Holy Spirit is calling us to that healing presence that brings continual renewal. Because it's continual surrender to the one who loves us best. Louis Zamperini didn't want to hear these words. Louis Zamperini hated these words. Louis Zamperini had been America's premier miler in the 1936 Olympics against Hitler, and he rubbed Hitler's nose in it, and then he climbed the Reichstag and pulled down the swastika, that flag that flew, trying to say that horror was going to triumph. But then Louis Zamperini was drafted, and he was shot down over the South Pacific in a B-24, and he spent 45 days in a life raft. I want you to think about your summer vacation. <laughs> okay, 45 days. You spent a horrendous time of torture in a Japanese prison camp. I encourage you to read the book, Unbroken. When he got out and lived through this, he was filled with anger and bitterness. His life was a wreck. He was a, a, a devastated alcoholic, an ugly, mean person, and he knew it. But he also didn't want to do anything about it. He knew then in his heart he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't. His wife dragged him in 1958, maybe it was 57, 
to one of the very first Billy Graham meetings in Los Angeles in a tent. Hill and Fillmore, I think it was. He hated it. And when his wife asked him to come back a second night, he almost didn't go. And he said, as soon as that man says anything about bowing your head and confessing sin, I'm out of here. I'm out of there. And of course, that's exactly what Billy Graham did. Spoke of the need for a new life and the surrender of our old sinful lives. And true to his word, when he heard that, Louis Zamperini got up and started to walk out. But he was stopped dead in his tracks when Billy Graham said, Many of you are at the end of your rope. And he knew that that was him. Instead of heading for the exit door, Louis Zamperini turned and walked toward the prayer room. He fell on his knees and gave his life to Christ. He said, the Holy Spirit came into my heart and I became a member of the true church, the body of Christ. Something unusual happened as he knelt before God. He, he said, when I was still on my knees in that very moment, I forgave those prison guards in Japan. And I knew I was through smoking and drinking and chasing women. That night, his nightmare stopped abruptly. He had been living a nightmare. He said, the miracle that happened was that for the first time in my life, I never had a nightmare, and I haven't had one since. Now, that's a dramatic story. But Louis Zamperini, who died just this past year, well into his 90s, after having led juvenile delinquents ever since that day, and by the way, we're all a bunch of juvenile delinquents too, especially you. <laughs> This is a dramatic story, but Louis would be the first to say it is no more dramatic than the need for any of us to experience rebirth because we all have nightmares. We all have them. Sometimes we walk around with them. Sometimes, most of the time, we suffer in silence. We suffer because we cannot forgive ourselves or someone else or God. And we think we must live the life we have, but it's not true. The personal God of the universe, my friends, has come looking for each of us, and we can know a forgiveness, a freedom that is beyond anything this world can describe or manufacture, because you know what? God personally cares about you and me. Now, maybe you think this isn't for you because what you've done is just too great, too horrible, or too embarrassing, or you're too ashamed, or you've been convinced by the devil that you can't be born again, or that you, you have to pay the debt in some miserable, silent, suffering way because somehow you deserve what you're getting. But don't you see? Don't you see? My friends, that is exactly why God came looking for us in Jesus. Not to condemn us, as the scripture says, but to save us, to rescue us, to call us into the tent of his salvation, to blow our sins with his Holy Spirit as far as the east is from the west, to a place where they no longer exist. We're free. Today, Jesus wants to give every single one of us a new birth because 
He knows that nothing is, get this, you know why he wants to give us a new birth? Partly because, first and foremost, because he loves us, but also in this particular situation, God knows that in Carson City, that nothing is going to convince people of his saving, loving power more than a bunch of revived Presbyterians who are so excited about what God has done and is doing in their lives to give them a new life, that they live a new life that never ends, and they go around telling people about it. Because guess what? The frozen chosen just don't do that kind of stuff. They they will see us changed. Whatever the sorrow, whatever has happened, whatever we have done, whatever has been done to us, has been swallowed up in the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he wants, all he wants is for us to know it and accept it and live in it so that we are free and no one, nothing, anywhere can take our joy away because no one owes us anything. So let me say this. If you have never known this personal offer from God, or if you have known it and talked yourself out of it, or you think, yes, I know, but I'm guilty, and I need to atone in some way. Listen, Jesus is telling us that he has already taken care of it. And all we need to do is what the word says. Believe. Live. And if we want this, Even if we don't think we can do it, he will make it possible. So, if you know you need what only Jesus can give, if you know by the power of God's Holy Spirit, speaking in this place now, not me, but God's Holy Spirit, if you know right now you need that, let's just bow our heads and our hearts. Let's let's bow right now. Let's bow. And join in your heart in this simple prayer. Dear God, I can't, but you can. I believe in Jesus who is God. I believe he died and rose from the dead. I believe because he paid the price, I am forgiven. I place my faith in him to make me right with you and give me eternal life. I have no other plan but to have faith and trust in you. Today, Lord, I am doing a 180-degree turn, and I point my life toward you. I will no longer run away from you, but toward you. I surrender my life to you, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, even if you've prayed it before, even if you've known intellectually everything that I've said today, but today you know it's new. It's different. Tell someone. Tell someone in Christ so that God's Holy Spirit may take that and cement it in you because now is a new day for all of us. Amen. Let's stand up. Let's celebrate it. Let's say what we know is true. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. May this closing hymn be our word of surrender that we might experience that new birth. Because he does, and because he's offering that right now, we go out of this place going nowhere by accident, even if it's to wrestle with what God has said to our hearts today. We go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Christ does indwell us, 
He has something He wants to do through us where we are. So may we believe it and go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and fellowship of God's equipping Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen. Just me.